I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your, Your Angry, Angry Neighborhood, Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. And this week we're talking about male airline pilots. <laughs> <laughs> we were just saying how when we were doing the prep for this episode and we put it into Google, that that's what came up for Madigan. And for me, it was all like articles about the differences between men and women's fight or flight response. Which is fascinating. Yeah. I would love to know about that. I'm sure with men, a lot of times it's fight and women, it's like flight or freeze probably. Yeah. I didn't open any of them because you're like, like, this "This isn't isn't relevant to me. Isn't what I'm here for. Yeah. I got a lot of like male airline attendants and male pilots. And I was like, this is not what I wanted. But this week we were talking about a phenomenon called male flight, which Keegan brought to my attention recently through a series of TikTok videos Yes, that she sent me. Yeah, which I will definitely talk about later and I will give her credit where yeah. it's due because I feel like she brought this phenomenon to a lot of people's attention. Even yeah. though it is something that they've been talking about in like academic journals for a while because I, I found quite a few of those, but they were behind paywalls. Like yeah. to pay for, or you had to, or you had to be school. in from a school or a mm-hmm. library and things like that. There yeah. were a lot of papers, and it sounds like there are, you know, uh, it was a lot of different variations in the Google machine for me to find different things. Yeah. And so it was a lot of like, 
sociology. You're like so, male fight or, sociology. Or, or like feminization of occupations, yeah. feminization of sports, things like that. And so kind of going down it that way as well, I think was really interesting in because all of this kind of encompasses why men think things that are feminine are bad essentially why they must flee from what is feminine yeah i mean this episode is talking about male flight but it is more broadly talking about male fragility like Mm -hmm. that is really at the crux of this entire thing and let's talk a little bit about the term so Male flight is derived from the term white flight, which is the departure of whites from places such as urban neighborhoods or schools, increasingly or predominantly populated by minorities. So minorities moving into a space and then white people fleeing away from that space. And so this term is derived from that term. So male flight is the phenomenon in which as an activity, occupation or product is increasingly associated with women, men, leaf. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and like you said, I'd first heard about this phenomenon on TikTok when a user by the handle of Ali underscore 202 underscore had a video on the subject that went viral. Uh, it got like over Millions six million or something. Views. Yeah. Yeah. And she has lots of other really great videos on feminism and stuff. So if you're interested, please go check her out. Definitely want to give her all the credit for bringing this to our attention. Yeah. In her video, she talks about how cheerleading used to be an almost completely male sport. Secretaries used to be men and things like makeup, wigs and high heels were also created for men. And it wasn't until women started making their way into the space that we saw the number of men in that space decrease, which was a fascinating concept to me. right? Right. So veterinarians, for instance, used to be all men, but you may have noticed lately that there are a lot more women on the scene. I mean, my vet is a woman. Mine's a man, but whatever. (laughs) Just putting it out there. Breaking Uh. the stereotype. (laughs) But that's because as soon as women started showing up, dudes kind of dipped. So there was this uh, report from the National Library of Medicine that said that in the United States and Canada, women constitute approximately 80% of the veterinary college student population. So the study of veterinary school applicants, for example, found that for every 1% increase in the proportion of women in the student body, 1.7 fewer men applied. Yeah. Which is just like a teensy tiny little increase. Like there's 1% more women applying to go to the school. And for every one woman who applied, there was almost two who were like, no, 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 thank you. Right, exactly. Well, and it is interesting because sociologists in particular have been kind of studying why or how or if this is a phenomenon. And there have been many different studies. And one that I was reading about was where one man, one woman would be told um, descriptors of like the opposite of Mm -hmm. their sex. So like a man would be told that he was feminine and a woman would be told that they were masculine. And in this study, when women were described as masculine, you know, they would maybe be a little bit like confused or whatever, but there was no sort of like real negative response to that. It was just kind of like took it as it was. But for men who were described as feminine, they would have a much more heated response. And I actually found the findings in this study to be kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I think this was from like the 80s or 90s. Um, These men also expressed more support for war, homophobic attitudes, and 
an interest in purchasing an SUV? Yeah, I read that same thing. I was like, so manly. I I put in parentheticals. That last bit is just kind of funny. And I just wrote in parentheticals, so manly. And that's from the University of Chicago Press Journals. So like you said, while men seem to take a front to anything that is female dominated, women don't feel the same way. You know, there are lots of names was an example of male flight, right? Like I actually like- have like a list of a few names because I feel like those would kind of be surprising to people. But yeah, there are names like Ashley, Carol, Vivian, yeah. Doris, Mackenzie, you know, all these Madison, names that, mm-hmm. that we consider to be female names that once, you know, upon a time, they were predominantly male. But then mm-hmm. once, you know, unisex names and things like that came into popularity, more men stopped having those names. Right. It's very interesting how that swings, where a unisex name, you almost always think of a unisex name as being more of a boy's name for a girl. Yes. Yeah. And not the other way around. Like Keegan, for instance, is a boy's name. Like, right. Whenever I Quote was unquote. born, it was in. Yes. It's even though the only have, other Keegan I've ever known is a girl, my cousin, which I is know wild. A boy Keegan. I do know one boy. Did he go to our school? No. OK, because I knew a boy Keegan that went to our school. That was interesting. <laughs> um, But also, yes, it is stupid to gender names like that is a dumb thing. Right. You know, we're we're not saying it's not, but it is a but historically, you know, <laughs> example for this episode. And yeah. whenever I was a kid, I mean, Keegan is a traditionally historically male name, masculine right. name. And now it is in the unisex portion of the baby book. Well, and that's because girls having masculine traits is like something for a father to be proud of. It's something for girls to feel proud of because they're not like the other girls. They're tougher. Exactly. They're stronger. They're better. And they're more like their male counterparts. And it's this weird thing, which is why like, I feel like a lot of young girls when they're called tomboys and things like that, it almost is like being, you wear that with a badge of honor yeah. in a way yes, because women can carry that with a sense of pride because the patriarchy has told us that the closer you are to the, you know, same existence as men, the more equal you are. So that's why I can understand why a woman being called masculine wouldn't really be exactly offensive. So this is called androcentrism. And that is the propensity to center society around men and men's needs, priorities and values and to relegate women to the periphery. So androcentrism also positions men as the gender neutral standard while marking women as gender specific, which is why we have, you know, Firemen, policemen, you know, a lot of the language that we use is very male centric. It's all part of that same term. Yes. And so because of this, the women are often expected to perform femininity because we can't say that throughout history, women haven't been punished in one way or another for masculine traits. Of course, Um, that's true. But they are often admired and rewarded when they perform masculinity. And it's just like you said, it's very similar to that, like not like the other girls trope. Girls who can perform well with what society considers to be male tasks, such as fixing a car, wielding a weapon, preferring whiskey or beer to fruity cocktails or wine. Right. Even though they might experience some backlash, they are often held up as being different or prized or unique, you know, right. interesting. But Anything men, that is in the scope of, and like, and you're going to fit in with your guy friends better, you know what I mean? And for a lot of girls, that's another, you know, kind of badge to wear. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and also 
in a society that was built for men, I think it's also it speaks to your ability to survive, right? Yes, it's like, oh, that's you a great can point. Survive better because you're more able to adapt to a male-centered world or great society. Point. But for men, it's the opposite. So since we value masculinity over femininity, men being involved in activities that would be traditionally considered female, they're scorned. They're viewed as weak, right? Right. So this can lead to displays of toxic masculinity. And I gave, um, or Madigan gave an example of masculine overcompensation, which is that thesis from that journal. What was that from? University of Chicago Press Journal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That said that men liked to drive SUVs. So that actually said, it's from the masculine overcompensation thesis. And it asserts that men react to masculinity threats with extreme demonstrations of masculinity. And this proposition was tested in a number of studies. One is the one that you mentioned earlier. And then there is another study, which was study three, that showed in a large-scale survey on a diverse sample that men who reported that social changes threatened the status of men also reported more homophobic and pro-dominance views, support for war, and belief in male superiority. So anytime they felt threatened in their position as the superior, they would become more toxic and more aggressive. And right. so you see that kind of come into play with this male flight. Yeah. It's like they're either going well, to fight it or they're going to leave the space altogether. Exactly. And I think that we would be remiss not to mention how much homophobia comes into play yes, as well. Yeah. And that was something that became really obvious, not so much in like the sociological studies that I was reading, but also kind of applying it to my own life, um, especially when talking about cheerleading. I did a whole I went on the cheerleading Wikipedia page I went into like a history of cheerleading website Mm -hmm. took a whole bunch of notes on it just because I was very fascinated by all of that but it also really reminded me of figure skating which is something I know much better than cheerleading and thinking about how figure skating was traditionally like every other sport for men right women were Mm -hmm. not allowed to participate in any of those sort of physical activities they were there to raise children and cook and clean and that was about it and it wasn't until a woman named Madge Sires was the first woman to compete in the male-dominated sport in 1902 which opened the door for women to compete and then since then it slowly became more of a female-dominated sport and it also became a sport which I've talked about a lot on this show that is incredibly homophobic yeah Even though the sport has been given this very feminine stamp. And it's something that I... Because of, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I really witnessed when I was younger. For any skating fans out there, if you remember the rivalry between Johnny Weir and Evan Lysacek. So a lot of us know uh, Johnny Weir because Mm -hmm. he's the announcer now. Very prominent within that community. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he is very out loud and proud, but he didn't actually come out until after he quit skating. Um, There was some absolutely horrific homophobic things that were said about Johnny Weir during his time in competing. And Evan Lysacek would spur that on a lot. He was a much more masculine uh you know he only wore like all black basic outfits and kind of yes and skated to really strong drum heavy music and the big bad man exactly and i grew up with guys like that there's a kid named alex that i skated with that always was like trying to prove how straight he was all the time and it was like super obnoxious right um but then we also see um that's still happening today. Nathan Chen, for example, who is our most recent Olympic champion, who I love very much, you know, he's very young. And in a podcast, he said some things that were a little bit controversial. 
He expressed his frustrations with the speculations people make about his sexuality because he's a skater. He made some poorly received comments saying, as a straight male athlete in a fairly homosexual dominated sport or LGBTQ dominated sport, that caused a lot of uproar because it's also not like if you look at the the whole mm-hmm. I mean because a lot of people aren't out so we don't really even have that statistic it's also just very weird to gender sports like, it is very well, strange and to his credit I watched the video from this podcast and the interviewer kind of was giving him a hard time being like don't you want to play hockey don't you want to like so it, to me it seemed because it was two guys talking it did kind of seem like this guy was kind of like why would you choose figure skating Do they realize uh, it's so frustrating to me just because he's a man and these are both sports that involve skates on ice, yeah. they're not similar, really. Like, they're very different sports. Right. Well, and he goes on to say, there is that connotation and there is that, well, we don't really want to watch guys skate around and we'd rather watch hockey or watch females do that, which I think is pretty messed up in and of itself. So although he did make some kind of like mm, sketchy comments about like the queer community and figure skating and things like that. He did also bring up the fact that he has experienced some level of homophobia in in himself as well, because of the way that mm-hmm. people perceive this sport. Cause you're it's always not, feeling like you have to quote unquote defend yourself. And you and don't it's not even have to, anything, but people make you right. feel like you have to. Exactly. And because yeah. if you're gay, that makes you less of a man or anything like that. And like, it's this horrible stereotype that's been around forever. And the fact that, you know, we see it continuing to this day in sports. I mean, Adam Rippon in 2016 um, was in big trouble for wearing this, like little tiny mesh top. Yeah, I remember. And there are like all of these really uh, particular rules, like men still can't wear tights, they have to wear pants. And up until recently, like up until my last year of skating, I'm pretty sure women couldn't wear pants. What are you so scared of? Like these people who make these rules, I'm like, what do you think is going to happen to you if you see a man in tights? Well, it is this old white run sport just like all of them are, that are so focused on their image that they're actually ruining their fucking image because they're focused on it so much. And I think a lot of that is very similar when you look at things like cheerleading and you look at men that are in cheerleading. And then I also know some men that play volleyball. Yeah. And how men are treated that enjoy playing volleyball. Especially like beach volleyball and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, cheerleading is a big one, a big one. I mean, having been a, cheer- a cheerleader when Bring It On was a big deal or right after Bring It On I've was a big I've still never deal. seen that movie. First of all, look, it's got issues, of course, because right. of the year it came out. But for me, it's very nostalgic. It's very nostalgic for me. Uh, I love that movie. Um, but there's homophobia in that movie. The movie kind of says, it makes a lot of gay jokes and says like, well, you're either gay or you have to defend yourself where you're like, I'm not gay. This is just where I get to hang out with all the chicks. Like you have to be like hyper masculine or gay to be a male cheerleader. Right. And And those are the only two kind of like acceptable things. And you're always, again, defending your heterosexuality. Exactly. If you aren't gay. Which is like so messed up. You don't have to do that. Just love who you love. And then also, you know, and we're going to, we're about to go into this whole section of it. um, Or I do have a lot to say on this section of it but since we're talking about cheerleading the other part of it is because it is so predominantly female as a sport even though it wasn't always but it is now the way people diminish 
cheerleading as not a sport yeah or diminish which the would not happen if men were still right prominent because in the sport it is so physically taxing yeah uh if gymnastics is a sport why isn't cheerleading right. a sport i think yeah. that like so in my high school are we had two cheer teams and there was one for like the football games and they sucked they just stood there and moved their arms and they mm-hmm. didn't really do anything like you have one cartwheel in there but then there was like our competition team where they were like gymnasts and they would do crazy tricks and routines and like obviously it takes a lot of talent and skill and endurance and all of these things right you yeah. can't look at that I mean if you've watched cheer on Netflix you see that that it takes the same energy as any other sport would but it is still a debate that people have constantly and people will give well, all and kinds that's of what's so that. wild because you know we talked about it just reminds me a little bit of talking about mental health last week and how I feel like you know, back in ancient times, we had a better grasp on mental health than we do now. And I think that, you know, cheerleading started as being like just as important as the football players, because when football first started, there were no fans. And then when there were fans, they were unruly and wild. So they wanted someone to be there to kind of like lead the crowd in cheer. And I think it's funny, it was actually someone who like went to Princeton and then went to the University of Minnesota that actually started the first cheer team at the U of M, which I'm like, that's really cool. And it was really about like the physical fitness of the men and the skills that they could do and the chance. I mean, they're the rah-rah shishkumba creators here. Mm-hmm. Yet we look at it as diminished cheerleading so much. I think especially yes. because of how it's evolved in sports culture. Yeah. I'm watching the show Winning. And in pop culture as well. Yeah, have you watched, I think it's called Winning Time on HBO? No, not yet. It is so good. It's about it's the, Adam McKay, about it's, the Lakers, right? It's about the Lakers, mm-hmm. but it's like about like the Showtime Lakers going from like, basic basketball games to like entertainment at the forum and shortening those skirts and making everything sexy and hot and exciting and floor seats and everything like that. And it raises that level of like sex appeal in cheerleading yeah. as well, mm-hmm. which is also going to be something that the we equate to of cheerleading. Exactly. Like, yeah, we equate is- that like sexiness with women as well. So having a man in that doesn't which make has sense to society. Also, which is, which has allowed also, people to mistreat cheerleaders like we see it all the time with professional cheerleaders the amount of like sexual harassment and objectification that happens yeah to these women who are athletes like anyone yeah. who's who is cheerleading at a professional level had to have gone through competitive cheer and competitive cheer if you are cheering in competitions it is high level yeah it's just it's like every other sport but people that don't experience it and don't see it don't have that same understanding and I mean that's a whole other part side of female dominated sports that's so fucked up I mean the the, I'm going to say the costumes, the uniforms for the be- beach volleyball players, oh, yeah, yeah. the amount of harassment I got from grown men wearing skirts growing up skating for dancers, for people who are used to maybe showing their bodies a little bit more and they're comfortable with that, how they're treated when they're out in the world because yeah. of it. That's totally not what we're talking about, but I think it all kind of goes yeah, I mean, into the same umbrella where femininity is just so weaponized. Yeah. Yes. And so... Before we go into talking about that a little bit more and about how people tend to lose respect for these jobs that become quote unquote feminized or these um, sports or whatever else it is, let's take a really quick break and we will be right back. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. 
And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleepwave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Okay, and we're back. So because of everything that we have just talked about because of all of this, perhaps the most frustrating yet unsurprising thing about the male flight phenomenon is that in the words of Allie from TikTok, quote, when these things become feminine, instead of gaining respect for the women who can do them, we lose respect for the sport or the job because you would think like, okay, wow, a woman can do what a man can do. This is incredible, right? But instead we just say, how can she do it? (laughs) We just say, well, that must not have been that good in the first place. Yeah, that must not have been that that difficult difficult, in the first place. So again, this is from the National Library of Medicine study on gender and veterinary medicine. The feminization of veterinary medicine has also changed the profession in other ways. Many of these changes are desirable. Others may be less so. Income may have been compromised. There may be less interest in practice ownership and fewer graduates may be entering large animal practice. So those two things that I kind of want to focus on is income may be compromised because of the number of women who are going into this field right. and that there may, may be less interest in this field. And because I really feel like men are worried about losing that prestige that they have with having certain jobs yes. if women are also part of it. And I think this is interesting because I didn't expect my research to take this turn where I'm going to be talking about the wage gap. But I do think it's really interesting how all of this, from what I read, really does have a lot to do with the gender wage gap. Yes, it has a ton to do with it. And I find that kind of funny because 
MRAs on our Instagram are so fond of telling us all the time that the wage gap does not exist. Right. (laughs) And I'm here to tell you that the wage gap absolutely exists. It absolutely does exist. And funnily enough, all of this kind of started back in the 1970s during the second wave of feminism when women were starting to kind of go out and stake their claim in more male-dominated spaces. And men were not too fond of all of this. So let's talk a little bit about why men don't want women in their occupations or careers. Well, before we jump into that, let me just throw out this statistic really quickly. So according to the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics, the gender composition of a job is the single largest contributor to the gender wage gap. It's above all things, including unionization. So we're talking about like the feminine, the more feminine a field becomes, the larger we see this wage gap gap increase. Right. So if you want your job to pay well, you should go into a male dominated field. And that's an issue for a lot of reasons. 100%. Yeah, because then you're, you're also really limiting yourself to what you want to do. And you're having to like, think like a man and like find a job in something else. But honestly, I feel like it's even just the wording for some of these jobs that makes them pay differently. Like, for example, the median earnings of information technology managers, which are mostly men, are 27% higher than human resources managers, Mm -hmm. which is mostly women. Yes. The median wage for janitors, mostly men, is 22% higher than maids and house cleaners that are mostly women. So to me, that's a janitor and a maid and a house cleaner, to me, seem to be relatively similar in occupation. Right. right? Especially if you're talking about, say, a maid in a hotel who's expected, because I could see the difference being made in terms of like, okay, we're talking about a housekeeper who works maybe in a in a home, right? As opposed to a janitor or a custodian who is maybe working for an entire business or a building, right. like cleaning a whole building. But maids, for instance, who work in hotels, are doing a similar amount exactly of, of work you as know. a janitor would be doing in, in a large mm-hmm. office or things like that. Overall, in fields where men are the majority, the median pay is about $962 a week, which is 21% higher in occupations with the majority of women. Differences in the type of work men and women do accounts for 51% of the pay gap, a larger portion than in 1980, according to another study. So that goes to show you that because of the differences in work that I think women have been encouraged to do or have made their way into, it's giving... Um, it's giving companies more excuse to pay them less. And that's also kind of why men don't want to join typically feminine careers because they say that, you know, if you're in an office full of women and you're the one man, you're going to be paid the same as those women. You're not going to be getting above. Which is also not true. Exactly. I have a lot of notes on that as well. It actually benefits men to go into jobs that are predominantly women. Because, because you will probably get promoted so fucking they fast. They will. Like, and that's another frustrating thing is like men tend to move up the ladder in traditionally feminized careers or jobs or occupations rather um, than women in those careers. It's why you will see a lot of teachers. Teachers are the vast majority of teachers are women, but the majority of principals and superintendents are men. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's just a common trend that you've seen throughout time. I mean, that was a big thing anecdotally from whenever I used to watch a lot of like beauty YouTubers. Right. That was a thing that a lot of, women beauty YouTubers or beauty gurus in quotes (laughs) used to have issues with is that 
not men being in the beauty space, not men being interested in makeup and all of that stuff, but the fact that you have Jeffree Star who is getting paid astronomically more than other beauty YouTubers who have maybe been in that sphere for a lot longer who are women. Totally. Uh, And again, this is a traditionally feminine, historically feminine space. Right. Well, I also read that when women started becoming designers more often, like fashion designers, that occupation also took a huge hit and dropped by 34% in wages after women started joining the career. Even with things like that, like hairdressing, choreography, design, we tend to have men holding the top positions. Can I tell you something that's kind of horrible that we used to say in skating? Because when you're young, they don't split you up between the sexes when you compete, the boys would get penis points because they want to keep the boys in the sport. So they want the boys to win. So if I was competing against a boy, I knew that I had to skate really, really good because they want, they're going to like him no matter what. Mm -hmm. And like, I, that's probably also really fucked up, but that was something that was just super common. And I've heard it in like dance and stuff too, where it's like, Oh, they got their penis points because there's a boy on the floor on the ice. You know, it's very interesting because I do feel like men are given this, this extra grace, uh, in women's spheres. I think they're seen as like brave almost right. like oh my gosh you're so different. And we are impressed that they're able to do this right like we see a man do his makeup his own makeup as expertly as any woman or maybe even better than some of the women that you've seen right. and, and that so almost makes it more impressive. It is yeah whereas women doing the same thing is not always viewed that way like exactly. women in a male dominated you know sphere is not viewed the same way. Right. But that trend we've seen across occupations. So up until the late 1800s, for instance, clerical and secretarial work had been seen as, quote, arduous labor and considered too strenuous for women. But by the 1930s, what was once considered to be labor was now considered to be a skill of dexterity and women were almost exclusively sought after for the job. And once that happened, pay plummeted. So whenever it was male secretaries, and I think that part of it is that there was this expectation that, well, men, when they have a job, they're having to take care of their families. Whereas when women have a job, it's just extra income. It's just right. fun money, right? Like it's just and not taken seriously. And why is that still like carried over to this day? Like that's so frustrating because that's so clearly not how women operate anymore. Because I feel like in the 1950s, That's something that you could say, you know, oh, she's working part time, whatever. This is a funner thing for her to do. But But now then there were always shitty, you know, they were single moms. It's always shitty, but I can almost see it more then. And I can't I can't forgive it now. You know that women are more than just like working for funsies. Now we've decided that that labor isn't difficult. It's like that term unskilled labor that we've talked about. There really is no unskilled labor, but we like to put that label on things that poor people do or women do. Yeah. You know, like for some reason, we seem to think that being a custodian is unskilled labor or being someone who like maybe works at a construction site, but sitting in an office all day working at an ad agency is skilled labor because it requires what a certain amount of education yeah it's actually interesting a quick aside I listened to the most recent episode of crimes of the centuries and it was really good and so they they talk about like why people want to keep the poor poor and so on and so forth it's really fascinating if you all want to go listen to that but that kind of reminded me of it as well like why we want to keep certain minority groups down yes yeah I mean and certainly that 
is a situation that was happening with women as well. Yeah. It's just like, it's like forced sterilization and things like that because they were poor and eugenics and things like that. Yes. All yeah. the shittiness. Yeah. But even in this, right? Like, so uh, I was listening to a, you're wrong about episode, which if you don't listen to you're wrong about, it's great. I really enjoy it. But they were talking about urban legends and in the urban legend about the babysitter, they were talking about like, why do we have all these urban legends where the babysitter is at fault? Like it's never the parents. Like it's always the babysitter is at fault. Like the babysitter accidentally puts your baby in the oven or (laughs) babysitter gets the kid killed or whatever because you're not home. And one theory was that there was all this angst towards babysitters because the prevalence of babysitters allowed women to leave the house and seek jobs outside of the home because oh, there was so someone was at home to watch their children. Almost like a scary story to keep women from leaving their children at home yes. with other people yes. and saying, we need you there. Without you, your baby's going to die. Right, yeah. There was mm. all of this. And maybe that was subconscious, but there was all of this I mean, totally, but that's what put. it sounds like, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like not only did they pay women less or did they start to pay women less when more women went into these fields? Also probably something that we're not even talking about is that the expectation that women, they were like, well, I didn't have a job before, so I have a job now. It's cool that it pays me a quarter an hour. I'm not going to fight for more money. Right. Of course. And I think that for a, a long time, you know, talking about how women started getting involved in the workforce in the first place and the different reasons why women started getting, you know, jobs and careers of their own when they were really, told to go against that I think that that kind of explains a lot of it as well yes so all of this makes it very clear that it is not that we value the work that is being done less we just value the type of worker less of course and when women dominate in a field we just tend to lose respect for that field completely the value that we assign professions are largely arbitrary and they're tied up in patriarchy and male fragility more than anything else totally that's what i came out of my research on this topic yeah you know came out of it with but it all presents like a really interesting question which is that as women tend to move into more fields right like even though there are lots of hurdles, even though things are much more difficult, there's not a field you can't enter into now, right? right. Like if you want to enter into a field, you can do that. And so, well, and of that, one of the things that I was reading too is like now women are more educated than men. They yes, have exactly. almost as much work experience. Mm-hmm. There are so many reasons why women are feeling empowered to be part of any occupation that they want. Yeah, women are significantly more likely to complete college than men are. So, what happens when employers have no choice but to start hiring women in greater numbers to previously male-dominated fields? Like, will the value of those jobs continue to go down, like, as has been the trend? Or will they be forced to value men and women in the same measure? I don't know. I think they're going to have to. Like, that's kind of how I mean, eventually, yeah. I mean, and I'm hoping that it won't just be because they'll have to, but because we will have made the strides needed in order for that to become possible yeah I mean you know I have to keep talking about it I have thought about like what are some examples of male flight in modern times because a lot of these examples feel very old they feel very dated right? yeah like you talk about flight attendants was a big one um where 
that was another one where the pay went significantly down. Uh, and I've seen a lot of people having that conversation about video games. Mm. That that was why there was such a strong reaction to like Gamergate and trying to force women out of that sphere, out of this kind of like nerdy sphere. Like that's kind of the next frontier, right? Yeah, like yeah. Let women enter into the jock sphere and the science sphere and like let us have our D&D and video games. Yeah. Like, you know, to ourselves. No girls allowed. Right, but it has become a progressively more feminized, for lack of a better word, environment. Right. Gaming. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, if you're if we're really going to pull far far back on this, I mean, I think it just goes to show you too just how damaging any sort of gender norms and gender expectations are on us as people. And we've had many different discussions on the podcast throughout the years about different examples of this, whether it be, you know, like names that we discussed or, you know, the colors blue and pink. You Mm -hmm. know, it used to be that blue was a feminine color because of the Virgin Mary and pink is a lighter tone of red, which was supposed to be more masculine, Mm -hmm. obviously. Um, And that eventually switched like during World War II and all that kind of stuff. So it is interesting to kind of look back on how gender as a whole and needing to keep us in this binary and this hierarchy is damaging. And I'm hoping that not only will there be improvements made when it comes to the gender wage gap between men and women, but also opening the door to other identities and other people who are probably at a greater disadvantage than cisgendered women are as well. So I think it is really great to kind of take a look at this and see how gender expectations in general can be so damaging to so many different facets of life. Yeah, I think that this is also a really good example of the ripple effect, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that you could look at this and you could say, eh, that's not really that big a deal. You know, like, ugh, men just don't want to be cheerleaders anymore, right? Like, what's the big deal? Yeah, what's the harm? What's the harm? And I think if you look more closely at it and you look at why that is societally, why that is, what that says about what we think about women um, and how we treat women and see that it ripples down into what we pay women, what we think women are worth. And how we treat women. Yeah, yeah. That I think... um, examining it more closely is important to do. I think it's important to take a close look at it. So I'm hoping that this phenomenon, this concept becomes something more widely researched and discussed, especially because we did have a little bit, at least I felt like I had a harder time finding articles of what I wanted. You know what I mean? Of like the things that I was looking for. There's not even a Wikipedia page on this. No, there's Wikipedia pages for things kind of surrounding it, but there was no like Wikipedia base for me to jump off of or anything like that. So I hope that if anything, this concept and phenomenon is discussed more openly because if anything, the more we educate people about these things and particularly educate men about these things, it is a bit eye-opening. Like even telling the boy I used to nanny for because he thought pink was so repulsive telling him the history of those colors and just kind of being like you know what what you think is wrong (laughs) you know what I mean like let's look at this subjectively color cannot be gendered and also yeah why do you think that something that's associated with girls and girls is gross is gross like what's what's the issue there because yes we've you know we said it already but like on the opposite side of that 
it was cool for me to be like into boys colors and into boys things yep and playing with boys toys right like that made me like a cool chick yeah whereas like men are picked on and made fun of for those things and I do think that we are moving more and more away from gender being this binary right of just like one or the other and so maybe these conversations will become fewer and further between when we start or just much more nuanced too Mm -hmm. I think that just an intersectionality in general the more we open the conversation up the more chances there are for everybody to be helped along the way. You know what I mean? I think it's all about opening our eyes to other people's experiences as well to help get to where we want to go. It would be really nice for people to be able to just kind of be people and to say like, you know, regardless of the biological sex of whatever child I have, I just really like the name Brittany and I'm going to name this baby Brittany and it not be this like, you want to name a kid Brittany? I didn't know that about you. I actually really do not want to name a kid Brittany. (laughs) But I was, I was like, wait, what? I've never heard this before. Not against Britney's. Oh, my God. All, that's but, so funny. Um, just because it, it Britney is another one that was a yeah. considered to be a boy's name. You I know? actually was really fascinated by the different names. Did you know that Margaret was originally a boy's that name? I did not know. I did not know Margaret or Carol. Yeah. OK, so I'm going to I'm going to end with some interesting um boy turned girl name facts here. So Ashley fell off the mail charts in 1995. Carol fell off the charts after the 1920s, but it was actually very popular for boys in the 1920s, Carol. You know what? Now that you say that, I'm like, God, that I feel like maybe there's an author or somebody. There are some like famous people thrown in here that I mentioned. So like for Vivian, that dropped off the male charts in 1934. But there is a heavy metal guitarist named Vivian Campbell and an educator slash activist by the name of Vivian Wilson Henderson. And they are both male vivs. Doris was prominent in boys until the 1920s as well. Hillary fell off the male charts in 1932. There are famous male Hillarys, including philosopher Hillary Whitehall Putnam, which I feel like I've heard that name before. Mackenzie didn't fall off Mm -hmm. the male charts until 2002. Leslie, we know, you know, Leslie Odom Jr. There are some other Leslies Mm -hmm. I feel like that we have heard of that are men, but it did fall off the male charts in 1998. Did you know that Bob Hope's real name was Leslie? I did not. I didn't know that either. That's his real first name. Well, we have good old Lindsey Graham. And there's also U.S. President Leslie Lynch King Jr. Who is that? I have no idea. Gerald Ford. What? That's Gerald Ford's real name, Leslie Lynch King Jr. Whoa. Right? I feel like you must have told me that because we talked about We him. talked about him. So I'm like, I must have known this before, but I, it did not register. Um, but then I already mentioned Margaret. So I'm going to mention Joyce. That fell off in 1947. And there was a novelist by the name of Joyce Carey. That was a male. So doesn't it make you feel a little silly? Yeah, I remember these like we have these like snap feelings yes. about something that literally a hundred years ago was was, a, was considered no to be big a boy's deal. Name. I mean, like, it's there's so an silly. Ashley in Little Women. That's yeah. a boy. Yeah, there's an. I mean, I think that there's an Ashley in Gone with the Wind too. I think you might be right yeah. with that. Yeah, it's just it's interesting how much all of that changes. <sighs> well, that's all I've got in my notes. Do you have anything else you want to add? That is all I have in my notes too. So this was a bit of a shorter episode, but like we said. There was not a lot of like hard evidence, research, <laughs> research things to be things discussed that we could find on this topic. But 
that kind of made me want to talk about it more because yeah. I was like, I feel like maybe this is something that a lot of people don't know about or don't think about. Exactly. And it does have repercussions. You and know? I think it's a really great way for us to kind of close off our Women's History Month because mm-hmm. it's kind of one final thing that I feel like is uh, something that all women can relate to in some way, shape or form that we've you know gone through in our lives. So yeah. I hope that you all enjoyed another Women's History Month. If there's any merch that you want to check out, you can go to the link in our bio on our Instagram or go to the link in the show notes wherever you're listening. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. Last but certainly not least, the best way you can support Keegan and I is by leaving us a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It truly does mean so much to us and it really does help. All right, that's all we got for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to to rage on. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my two wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I'm hoping to open up the conversation about balancing careers and family. The one thing I constantly hear successful people say, without fail, is that they wish they'd spent more time with their kids. That's time no one can get back. So I decided to create Business Dad to engage in the conversation about how we're spending our time now, providing a forum for successful dads to share their joys and challenges of being a working parent. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier. And while this podcast will talk about business and will definitely be featuring dads, I think everyone can learn something from these incredible conversations as we unpack the expectations we all have about careers, relationships, and ourselves. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.